0: This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Louisa Charles. She's the communications director at Climeworks. C L I M E W O R K S. Climeworks.com. Louisa, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
1: Very well. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, tell me about uh, Climeworks, which I guess is short for Climate Works. But uh, what's, what's the premise of the company?
1: Um, <laughs> so first, it's not—it's not quite short for Climate Works. That's another another company, actually an NGO. Um, mm-hmm. based so. in the US. So we they are a customer of ours, but they're not they're not actually related to us in any way. Um but the the background of Climeworks is that we were founded about a decade ago by two mechanical engineers, Jan Wotzbocher, Christoph Gebold and um, the company was originally founded as a spin off from ETH, so the Swiss Federal Institute mm-hmm. for Technology here in in Switzerland, um, the two founders did their PhD theses on on direct air capture. So capturing CO2 directly from air. And okay. uh, we've grown into a company of 70 employees since then.
0: Okay. So, yeah, um, I had read the background a little bit. Uh, so direct air capture, I don't know if you could describe the process, but its, it's uh, it works to take co2 out of the air directly and store it i guess uh, underground or in other appropriate places
1: that's right yeah so the way it works very simply put is that we build we build machines uh, we call these machines co2 collectors and the way a co2 collector captures co2 from from the air is that we have a fan on the one side which draws air inside the collector Inside there, we have a filter material, which is highly selective. So it captures just CO2 on its surface. And you can think of the filter material a little bit like a sponge. So if you were to dunk a sponge into a bucket of water, then the sponge would fill up with water. And essentially the same thing happens with our filter material. So it fills up with CO2. And once it's fully saturated, we close Our CO2 collector, it's heated to around 100 degrees Celsius, and the CO2 molecules thereby unstick from the filter material and can be collected. And once we've we've collected the CO2, there are various things that can happen to it. So, on the one hand, we sell that CO2 on for use in raw materials, um, for use in products. As a raw material, sorry. And there it's sold either to the drinks industry for drinks carbonation, to greenhouses, fuses and airborne fertiliser, to producers of renewable fuel. So they are all off-takers of CO2 as a raw material. So either either the CO2 is recycled, if you like, in a product, or we take CO2. And with our partners currently in Iceland, the the CarbFix team they take our co2 they mix it with water they pump it deep underground 700 meters and there there is a chemical reaction between this hot fizzy water essentially and the basalt rock that's beneath iceland and stone is formed so the co2 is is mineralized and thereby permanently removed from the atmosphere so the these are these two the two uh, use cases for the CO2 that we capture.
0: So in Iceland, um, are you doing the capture locally and then the storage locally, or do you do the capture and then ship it to them in Iceland?
1: No, no, everything's done locally. So there we have a pilot plant in Iceland and it's capturing CO2 from Icelandic air and is stored locally. And that's the beauty of direct air capture, and that it can be, these machines can be built anywhere. There is a, a renewable energy source. And if we then want to store that CO two that we capture, then then we need some sort of a storage option as well.
0: What are the economics of Iceland doing this? Is it buying the CO two from you then and storing it? And how would the economics work for the country?
1: So in Iceland, what we currently have there is a pilot project. So it's a very it's a small small installation. We have one of our CO two collectors out there. And this this stage is operating within the framework of of a U an EU R and D project, so Horizon twenty twenty and is funded through that.
0: Well, since CO two is generated all over the world, you know, by many different emitters, um, it just seems like I it would be an interesting thing. I wonder if if countries could choose to invest in a you know direct air capture. Investment that resides in another country because it still, I guess, would benefit you know that country or offset its emissions. So it, it seems to open up like an interesting economic model, if possible, if, you know, given countries who are interested in that, mm-hmm. created one place, you know, gotten rid of in another, you know, paid for disposal essentially. Essentially,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's exactly right. So the the beauty of of this carbon dioxide removal is that it. It's relevant worldwide, so it's exactly as you say. One can, in one part of the world, emit that CO two, and in another part of the world, then remove remove that equivalent amount of CO two from the air and store it underground.
0: Are there countries that are willing to pay for this more than others? I mean, there's like uh, you know, who would be a big payer or a buyer of this kind of service, or is that part of the trouble that people are happy to emit and no one wants to uh, pay to have it sequestered?
1: Thankfully, slowly, slowly things are are changing. So there are both corporations and NGOs, uh, philanthropists and newly also individuals who want to remove physically remove the CO2 emissions from air through direct air capture and through through the combination of direct air capture and the underground storage of CO2. Um, one of our first, very first customers for carbon dioxide removal was a father-son couple. They were planning an exp- expedition to the South Pole and wanted that expedition to be carbon, totally carbon neutral. And were of course aware that by by travelling to their starting point for the expedition, that uh, through those flights there were emissions that were created, and they wanted to remove those emissions, and so came came to Climeworks and and we were able then to to capture that same amount of, of CO2 from air in their name and store it underground.
0: What's the approximate economics if um you know an individual person says hey i want to uh you know i want to buy uh, a certain amount of storage you know what does that look like is there literally pricing for the public if they wish to do something or for corporations?
1: There, yes there is there's pricing for the public um what we quite recently launched was a web shop which is climbworks.shop. and there we enable individuals to to remove their travel emissions um, and there there's various various pricing options it's a subscription model and there there's three three different options that can be chosen between the first starting at 7 euros a month um, and the higher one at 49 euros a month. So depending on, on how much CO2 you want to be removing from air, then there's a, the corresponding price for that. And bespoke packages are also available.
0: So what do, I mean, I mean, you know, it's a good thing that they'd be doing, but what do people get, let's say, if they're going to commit to a subscription of removing a certain amount of carbon, you know, every day, for a period of time do they get some kind of recognition or i don't know maybe even a credit from their government you know, a tax credit or something or you know if a corporation does this individual does this mm-hmm. are you working mm-hmm. on any systems like that as a reward
1: we are yes so the individual choosing to purchase one of these subscriptions receives a, a certificate at the end of the year um and they it's clearly stated how, how much CO2 was then removed in, in that individual's name per year.
0: Any uh, interest from particular countries on, uh, I don't know, setting up something like this with all their citizens? You know, it could be a good or a bad thing or good or bad, uh, you know, method, but I don't know, a tax on all their citizens uh, that maybe is weighted depending on their age or their use or their family members or just the fact that they're a citizen of a given country. That would be, uh, you know, the person would pay again to offset their emissions.
1: Um, conversations are ongoing. Um, can't can't say anything too concrete yet. Um, on a slightly higher level than than just for the storage, we have various governments very very interested in in direct air capture and supporting the further development of direct air capture technology. Amongst them is the Swiss government, uh, German government also. And there is, there are more, more and more governments very, very keen on exploring how how they can help support the the development and optimization of direct air capture.
0: So what are some of the numbers involved? If um, you know, if there's a big push for solar and wind use and other renewables, uh, will direct air capture be needed in order to stop you know climate change? Or uh, like, what are some of the big numbers that you've seen that that talk about what's going on?
1: The big numbers, <laughs> it depends a little bit which, which source you take. Um, but one often cited source is the the IPCC, so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They Last October, they came out with a report called the SR15, or the Special Report on 1.5 Degrees. And there it outlined what the, the world will need to do to keep... Uh, temperature rise beneath 1.5 degrees and there was it was very clearly stated that on the one hand we'll need a, a portfolio approach so there there's not one solution that will be enough to solve it on its own and Climax is very much of that opinion as well we cannot do this alone we're just one of many many solutions um, but the that IPCC special report clearly said that that Emissions on the one hand need to be reduced and drastically reduced, but that's not enough to make those climate targets. And so on top of that, we will also need to be physically removing CO2 that already is in the air. And that's where where direct air capture comes in.
0: Well, um, there, I'm sure there must be natural sinks of carbon, you know, on the earth. Mm-hmm. even with those uh, even with those natural sinks is it still i mean all these things still need to be done in order to prevent a uh, worldwide temperature increase of above one point five c
1: that's right, yeah that's right so this that brings me back to this portfolio thinking so we we very much need though we need those carbon those natural carbon sinks and we need to be preserving them so that they can function as they should in the years to come. We also need need trees we should stop cutting down trees we should pl- be planting more trees and alongside that also further develop these technologies amongst which direct air Capture is one further develop them so that they can they can scale to the the levels needed and this this ipcc report again the numbers there are are huge um and it's many billions of tons of co2 per year that will need to be removed directly from air to stand a chance of making those climate targets.
0: Can direct air capture be done using renewables? You know, can a, you run a gigantic direct air capture uh, machine using solar or wind or geothermal, or does it have to be, uh, unfortunately, traditional sources?
1: No, we we explicitly only use clean energy, so only renewable. Um, we have we have fourteen. Direct air capture projects across Europe currently, and they're using a mix of some use geothermal, some use solar, some use wind. Um, We have two installations that are using energy from waste, so they sit on the top of a waste incineration plant or garbage incineration plant, and uh, through the burning of the rubbish, energy is is generated, and we're able to harness that energy to power our direct air capture. Machines, So we we do not use conventional fossil-based energy for our direct air capture. And
0: is there, a, um, yeah, I'm sure it varies, but what's like the ballpark cost per ton to sequester carbon or, you know, is it per cubic meter? Like what, what's the uh, you know, the metric by which they use to define it economically?
1: Mm-hmm. So the cost to climb works currently to capture, just the capture part, uh, capturing one tonne, of co2 from air is around about 600 us dollars um the storage part is is a fraction of that so 15 or 20 dollars of of that 600 and the long-term cost target that we have is to bring bring one ton of air captured co2 um down to 100 us dollars
0: Um, What about the emitters themselves, you know, big uh, commercial enterprises that emit CO2? I think the concentration that they emit is, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of times higher than ambient air. They probably have scrubbers, but, I mean, is there um, an incentive to make smaller units that could be bolted on to existing emitters, you know, for a fee where you could really capture, like, a whole bunch in a nice concentrated spot?
1: Mm Mm-hmm so there i think what you're referring to is is point source capture so there right. um it's Climeworks is not not in any way involved in point source capture so we we focus really on on direct air capture only so directly from the air and this this portfolio approach that i mentioned earlier point source capture also has a, has its role to play in there so we also important technology that should should be developed further and, and used worldwide. But with with point source capture, yes the concentrations are higher there of, of CO2, about 20% compared to 0.04% of CO2 in ambient air. But there we cannot remove CO2 already in the air. So they they're preventing newly emitted CO2 from entering the atmosphere. But, but with, with point source, you cannot go carbon negative. So you cannot remove historic CO2 emissions, if you like, from the air. So you, you would achieve at best carbon neutrality, but not, not go carbon negative.
0: You were saying that uh, it's not possible to, I guess, am I understanding that right? It's not possible to get the CO2 down to the levels needed in the direct area around an emitter, around a point source.
1: Um, yes, no. I mean, you in the in the air surrounding it, yes, you could in theory, you could have you could have traditional CCS equipment on on the flue gas stack, capturing the the newly emitted CO2 and a few hundred meters away, you could have additional direct air capture machines, which are which are capturing CO2 already in the air. So in theory, they could, yes, they could be combined in that way
0: yeah
1: i don't know co2 is is different so the point the point source is really from from flue gas coming directly from the the factory let's say whereas direct air capture these machines you can you can build them anywhere and they're removing the co2 from from air from ambient air
0: gotcha. have uh, you know has iceland noticed any local effects or have any other countries that have the direct air capture machines noticed what happens in the immediate vicinity of the plant? Does anything happen different? You know, because there you're you're going negative, essentially, versus the ambient,
1: uh, mm-hmm. the amount of
0: CO2 in the air. Is there anything that they notice that happens to the local flora, fauna, anything, people in the area? Or is it, you know, nothing special
1: no. happens? No, there's, there's a negligible impact there. And CO2 diffuses so fast in the atmosphere. That it's that the concentrations are more or less the same worldwide.
0: Oh, uh, it's too bad if it uh, you know, if it felt really good to be right there, and the air somehow just felt a lot better, and people experienced that. That's what I was hoping.
1: <laughs> I think uh, that that may be to do with with the the other natural surroundings there and lack of large cities and heavy industry, perhaps.
0: Yeah, you know, like in a greenhouse, it kind of feels like that. So that's what I was wondering, but oh well. So um, are the economics such that, uh, you know, you said that these plants are powered by renewables, which is great. So, I mean, how many theoretically could be built, should be built, and at what scale, and how much will this contribute to, you know, reducing our carbon emissions to the right level? Like, what's the future hold for Climeworks? How much much more needs to be done?
1: (laughs) What the future holds, time will tell. Um, what needs to be done is is a lot, a lot, a large, large scale up. So in the last decade, we have achieved quite a nice scale up. So when our founders first began, they were in a laboratory setting at the university, capturing just a few milligrams of CO2 from the air. Uh, Ten years later, we're now building large industrial direct air capture plants, which are capturing many thousands of tons of CO2 from the air. So the scale up there has been nice and the the challenge lies now in replicating that same scale up. So going from building plants that capture thousands of tons to plants capturing many hundreds of thousands or even millions of tons.
0: What's the uh, anticipated timeline of being able to really have a large plant and to scale this whole effort up?
1: So we have, a goal, um, admittedly very ambitious goal, of capturing one percent of global CO two emissions by twenty twenty five. So that's the the star that we are following, if you like, for now. Um, and once that's achieved, then uh, then the scale up will continue, and we will we will do our best to scale direct air capture to the scales needed to become then r- truly climate relevant.
0: Is there any worry that as you guys get better at doing your job that other countries may not see what you're doing and say, look, things are getting better. We don't need to try as hard. I mean, you it seems like you'd have to really trumpet what you're doing so that no one gets the idea that things aren't as bad and let their foot off the gas, essentially.
1: Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that's very much something we we've been very aware of in the last years, and we refer to it as the moral hazard. Um, but there, especially with various climate reports having come out, the IPCC that I mentioned earlier being one of them, they're making very, very clear that, that it's, not, it's not an excuse to keep emitting and that really to make these climate targets, we need to drastically reduce emissions and on top of that also remove co2 from air, so the urgency is is being better and better understood worldwide and less and less being used as an excuse to to continue to emit
0: that's great um any uh ancillary technologies or add-ons that you see are in the lab but will be maybe available soon to help this effort
1: not from Climeworks side we we will continue to focus on on our direct air capture for now but it will be further further developed but further optimized we have eight uh, generations of, of the technology planned we've brought two of them um online already and with quite short innovation cycles hope every year to be coming out with a with a newer version or an optimized generation of direct air capture technology so keep an eye on the Climeworks website
0: Okay, very good. And the best way for people to find out more is is, go to Climeworks.com. Anything else?
1: That's right. There's Climeworks.com with general information about the company and the various uses for that CO2. And for those interested in in turning their own CO2 emissions into stone, then they can go to Climeworks.shop and there they'll find all the information they need.
0: Well, that's great. Well, Louisa, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.